Priya Parker, the author of Art of Gathering, warns us, don't begin a funeral with logistics. Tonight, I would like to add to her statement by asserting for all of us, don't begin your Thanksgiving with a turkey, or don't focus your Thanksgiving on a turkey. If you're at all like me, Thanksgiving preparation in typical years involves a lot of thinking about food. Cranberry sauce, stuffing, Brussels sprouts, turkey, mashed potatoes. We spend so much time planning menus, preparing recipes, and thinking about the meal that it is easy for us to forget what the holiday of Thanksgiving is about. Giving thanks and reflecting on the blessings of the past year. This Thanksgiving, it is especially challenging to ground ourselves in gratitude. In the, month, in the midst of month nine of shelter in place with cases rising around our country, it is easy to dwell on the list of all the many things we do not have and that are not the way we want them to be. We cannot travel. We cannot gather indoors around large Thanksgiving tables. We may not be able to savor our loved ones home cooking and we may be miles and miles away from those with whom we usually celebrate this holiday. There's a lot of pain and limitation this year, and I don't want to make light of that. But although there is much around us that is not how we would like it to be this Thanksgiving, I believe that it is especially important this year to ground ourselves in sincere gratitude and place an extra special emphasis on what Thanksgiving is about at its core this year. There's a story shared by Alan Morinus the author of Everyday Holiness, The Jewish Spiritual Path of Musar, about the famous violinist Yitzhak Perlman. It may be an urban legend, but it is full of truth nonetheless. One evening, Perlman was in New York about to give a concert. As a child, he had been stricken with polio, and so getting on stage is no small feat for him. He wears braces on both legs and walks with two crutches. Perlman crosses the stage painfully slowly until he reaches the chair in which he seats himself to play. As soon as he appeared on the stage that night, the audience applauded and then waited respectfully as he made his way slowly across the stage. He took his seat, signaled to the conductor, and began to play. No sooner had he finished the first few bars than one of the strings on his violin snapped. At that point, Perlman was close enough to the beginning of the piece that it would have been reasonable to bring the concert to a halt while he replaced the string and began again. But that is not what he did. He waited a moment and then signaled the conductor to pick up just where they had left off. Perlman now only had three strings with which to play his soloist part. He was able to find some of the missing notes on adjoining strings. But where that wasn't possible, he had to rearrange the music on the spot in his head so that it all still held together. He played with passion and artistry, spontaneously rearranging the symphony right through to the very end. When he finally rested his bow, the audience sat for a moment in stunned silence, and then they rose to their feet and cheered wildly. They knew that they had been witness to an extraordinary display of human skill and ingenuity. Perlman raised his bow to signal for quiet. You know, he said, sometimes it is the artist's task to find out how much beautiful music you can still make with what you have left. We have to wonder, was he speaking of his violin strings or his body? 
His words resonate not only about the symphony he created that evening, but more profoundly about how each of us can aspire to live our lives. Whether in a particular moment like this concert or more broadly, we are all at times lacking things. But this reality challenges us to answer the que these questions. Are we able to recognize the good amidst what we do have rather than focusing on what we do not? Do we have inherent within us an attitude of making or finding beauty among, amidst what we have, incomplete as it may be? Judaism is a religion that is deeply rooted in gratitude. It's even named for it. When Leah, wife of our patriarch Jacob, had her fourth son, she named him Judah or Yehuda, which means I am grateful, reflecting her gratitude to God for the gift of another son. The name Yehuda is the source of the Hebrew name of the Jewish people, Yehudim, revealing the very direct tie between Judaism and gratitude. Ensconced in the building blocks of the Hebrew language, the Jewish people would become a people rooted in gratitude, giving thanks and pursuing gratitude all of the time. As Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, Zichrono Livracha, points out, Jewish prayer itself is an ongoing seminar in gratitude. The very first words we are taught to say privately each morning upon waking are modeh moda ani, I give thanks. And Birchot HaShachar, the dawn blessings said at the start of communal morning prayers, are a litany of thanksgiving for life itself. The human body, the physical world, land to stand on and eyes to see with. The Amidah that we just recited together also focuses on gratitude, particularly in the stanza, Modim Anachnu Lach, we give thanks. Whenever we encounter a first or reach a special moment or celebration, we say the Shehechianu and thank God for enabling us to reach that point in time. The Hebrew word for gratitude is Hakarat Hatov, which means literally recognizing the good. Practicing gratitude means recognizing the good that is already yours, paying attention to what you do have instead of focusing on what you don't. This is the ethos that lies behind the great teaching of Mishnah Pirkei Avot, who is, which asks, who is rich? And then answers, those who rejoice in their own lot. Even with this emphasis on gratitude in Jewish culture and liturgy, societally, most of us tend to focus so heavily on the deficiencies in our lives that we barely perceive the good that counterbalances them not only during this time of shelter in place, but always. While it's easy to throw around phrases like the glass is half full or look on the bright side, it's much harder to live life embodying gratitude and truly focusing on the good in our lives. This tendency to look at the negative is bolstered by advertisers who attempt to convince us of just how inadequate or lacking we might be, especially at this holiday season, in hopes that we will try to fulfill our wants and needs by buying, pro buying products that will fix or fill us. But of course, there's no limit to what we don't have. And if that is where we focus all of our attention, then our lives are inevitably going to be filled with endless trivial dissatisfaction. It is also true that even if we are aware of our gifts, we tend to overlook or even grow callous to the finer and fuller aspects of our lives, so that after a while, we no longer even see that they are there. We come to take the good for granted. 
a simple and effective way to practice gratitude and consciously express it for all the good in our lives is by making giving, th making giving thanks part of our everyday lives. Especially this week, I would like to suggest that we adopt a practice from Musar. The gift that Musar teachings on gratitude offer us is that it is an imperative to double down on gratitude. Whether we are in a period of abundant joy or excessive drought, a time of mourning or a time of joy. Talmud Menachot encourage us to offer at least a hundred blessings a day, asking us to acknowledge and bless every single moment from waking until sleep, thanking kernels of food we consume, and even reciting a blessing upon leaving the bathroom. The term for blessing in Hebrew is bracha, which comes from the same root as the Hebrew words ni, berech, and teniel, nivracha. When you say a blessing, it is as if you have bent your knee in an act of gratitude. This connection to our physical bodies intimates not only the frequency with which we should say blessings, we bend our knees quite a lot, but also that the act of blessing can help us physically lean into that blessing, focusing our gravity in one place so that we can gather our energy for what has arrived and what has yet to come. So tonight, in the spirit of grounding ourselves in blessing on this particularly unique moment in time just before Thanksgiving, I would like to share a prayer for this year's Thanksgiving feast, which I adopted from Naomi Levy's A Prayer for the Thanksgiving Feast. For the laughter of children, for my own breath, for the abundance of food on this table, and for all the first-line workers who enabled us to enjoy it. For the technology helping us to be together today from across time zones and zip codes. For the community that surrounds us from near and far. For the roof over our heads. For the clothes on our backs and the masks on our faces. For our own health and the health of those we hold dear. And for the doctors, nurses, and medical workers and researchers of all types keeping us safe. For all our wealth of blessings for this opportunity to celebrate with friends and family, for the freedom to pray these words without fear in any language, in any faith, in this great country whose landscape is as vast and beautiful as her inhabitants. Thank you, God, for giving us all of these and so much more. And we say, Amen.